Good morning and welcome. We're so grateful that you're here today. We're happy to have you with us. If you're visiting, as always, we are so glad that you have come our way. We love to have visitors and we appreciate so much your presence today. We're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 3 in just a moment. Proverbs chapter 3, the passage read a moment ago in verses 5 through 8. Before we do that, I do want to just very quickly say that on Thursday night of this past week, Philip Tidwell was baptized into Christ, and so we rejoice with him. We're so grateful to have him as a part of the family here, and we're grateful that he is a new brother in Christ, and we pray God's richest blessings upon him. We appreciate again so much your presence today. I want you to look with me, if you would, at Proverbs chapter 3. Begin reading with me, if you would, in verse 5. Solomon said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. I don't know of anybody that embarks upon life with the attitude of wanting to fail. Matter of fact, all of us want to be successful, don't we? When I think about young people graduating from high school and college, in their minds, success is before them. We all want to be successful. And we want to be successful in every area of life. In Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon provides us with what I believe to be an ironclad formula for success. If you want to be a success in life, here it is. Black words on white paper. Very easy to understand. It begins with absolute confidence in the Lord. Listen again, if you would, to what Solomon said. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Down in verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. I think first and foremost, what Solomon is saying is that we need to learn to trust in the Lord. Now, again, you want to be successful in life? You want God's formula for success in your life. Here it is. First, it begins with absolute confidence in the Lord. That means what we have to do is learn to trust in the Lord. Could I ask you a question? Do you trust strangers? I doubt any of us would trust someone who would approach us on the street corner and begin asking us to do certain things for them. Why? Because we don't know them. Do you trust the Lord with all your heart? Before you answer that question, let me qualify it with this. If you don't trust the Lord with all of your heart, there's a reason for that. You don't know Him. You see, you don't trust someone you don't know. Those of you that are married, I have no doubt that you believe your mate has your back 
You have absolute confidence in your husband or your wife. You believe that what they tell you is true. Been tried and tested over and over and over again. And you trust your mate because, because you know your mate. Well, if you know the Lord, you'll trust Him. Solomon is saying here, look, you want to be a success in life. You want to enjoy a good life, a blessed life. Then you need to first and foremost learn to trust God. Now, how do you begin that trust in God? Well, you've got to know Him. And the only way to know Him is to read and study His Word, isn't it? Do you remember Paul said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You see, when you begin to read and study the life of Jesus, and you begin to read and study and meditate upon the ways of God, what happens? You begin developing faith. And you begin trusting that what the Bible has to say is indeed true. And what does that do? It leads to obedience in life, doesn't it? I think about those of us that have obeyed the gospel. We obeyed the gospel because we came to the conviction that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is exactly who He claimed to be in John 8, verse 24. We came to realize that a life of sin is not for us. And so willingly we walked away from sin. We call it repentance. That's what Peter said on Pentecost Day in Acts 2, verse 38. And then we confessed with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that Jesus is the Son of God just like the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. And then we were immersed in water so that all of our sins could be washed away. And we began this life of trusting God, looking to Him for guidance and direction in life. And so first we have to learn to trust in the Lord. And again, you don't trust somebody you don't know. And so if you don't know the Lord, you can't trust Him. But if you know Him, if you believe what is recorded in this book, then you trust Him, don't you? Because ultimately, when you trust somebody, you love them. And so if you know the Lord, you trust Him. To trust Him is what? It's to love Him. Now, there's a second thing. First, we have to learn to trust the Lord, and then secondly, we have to live in trust of the Lord. Sometimes, this is easier said than done. Learning to trust the Lord, but then living in trust to the Lord. Life can present us with so many different obstacles. And you think about the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, the joys, the frustrations. How many times in life have you felt like you're on this mountaintop? You've crested the mountain, and then a few days later, you're down in the valley. Ups and downs, highs and lows. Sometimes people judge the success of their life based on their joys and frustrations, their successes and failures. And I'm talking about those material and physical successes and failures. There has to be something more than that, doesn't it? Let me give you a couple of examples of people that learn to trust the Lord. First, I think about Job. Job was a unique individual. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Job chapter 1 that he feared God, he turned away from evil. Job was a good man. 
And yet, if you are familiar with the book of Job, you know that Job, in a very short span of time, faced a number of obstacles in life, didn't he? Job said in chapter 14, verse 1, Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. I want to ask you a question today. Was Job qualified to pen those words? Yes, he was. You want to talk about somebody that went to the school of hard knocks, that knew what it was like to be kicked around the block a time or two, Job was that man. The Bible tells us he lost ten children. And then he lost a great deal of his wealth. And then you add to that the fact that he lost his health. And if that weren't bad enough, the Bible says he lost the support of his own wife. She said, curse God and die. And Job said, you speak as a foolish woman speaks. Shall we not receive good at the hand of the Lord? Shall we not receive adversity? Over in chapter 13, verse 15, here's what Job said. It's a remarkable statement. In light of all of these difficulties and trials that he faced in life, here's what he said. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Learning to trust the Lord. And then living in trust to the Lord. Let me call attention to Psalm 56 very quickly. Look at Psalm 56 with me. I want you to see something here. We talk about living in trust to the Lord. In Psalm 56, we have a psalm of David. And David was, as you know, a great king, a warrior. David in Psalm 56 said, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day. He said, For there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Now listen to him. Whenever I am afraid, I will do what? I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. And then he says, I will not fear. And then he asks this question, what can flesh do to me? You see, David had a lot of adversity in life. Typically, we think about him as the great king of Israel, the premier king over the United Kingdom a man after God's own heart, and yet you look at the life of David and you think about all these adversities that he faced in life. And David would later say in this chapter, this I know, God is for me. So David had rock-solid trust in the Lord, didn't he? And by the way, Solomon was the son of whom? Of David. So Solomon is saying, first and foremost, you need to have absolute confidence in the Lord. You need to learn to trust the Lord, and then you need to live in trust of the Lord. There's a second thing I want to call attention to, and that is absolute commitment. Think, secondly, about absolute commitment to the Lord. I want to begin by talking about some marks of commitment. How would you define commitment? Does the Bible talk about having a committed life? Look again at Proverbs chapter 3. Here's what Solomon said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In other words, you commit your life to the Lord. You let Him govern how you live in life. Let Him direct your paths. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But how would you mark commitment? How would you define it? Let me just share with you some things that I believe help to mark out 
a committed life by way of Scripture. First, it begins by allowing the Lord to have a presence in your life. When I talk about the Lord having a presence in your life, I'm not talking about some type of just an annual pilgrimage to a service. I'm not talking about giving the Lord a slice of your life, but rather what we're talking about is allowing the Lord to have 24-7 presence in your life. Do you remember the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3 at verse 4? When he talked about Christ, he said, When Christ, who is our life. If you looked at the life of Paul, you know what? Here's one thing that could, could be said about him. God had presence in his life, day in, day out, through struggles and through triumphs through the highs and the lows, through the joys and the frustrations of life. As a matter of fact, in Philippians chapter 1, one of Paul's prison epistles, here's what he said, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. All he's saying is, look, for me to live in this flesh, in this body, to go about my daily affairs, it's all about Christ. Why? Because He has a presence in my life. Not only does the Lord have a presence in your life, but He has possession of your life. In other words, he's, in, he's the one calling the shots. He has the possession of you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, here's what Paul said. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God? He said, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. And so he said, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You ever ridden with a person that like a better way to say it, backseat driver. You ever tried to drive and somebody in the backseat and they're trying to tell you how to drive? You enjoy that? You know, to me, when, when I'm driving, I want to drive. You know, if, if, if they want to drive, they need to get their own car. Well, sometimes... Is it not the case that we try to tell God how to drive the car, so to speak? What we need to understand is God needs to be in the pilot seat. We need to let Him drive the car. Why? Because we belong to Him. He's the one calling the shot. It's not me. God's not my co-pilot. He is my pilot. He's the one steering the ship, isn't He? So you think about the Lord having a presence in your life, the Lord having possession of your life, and then what about the Lord having preeminence in your life? I love the words of Paul in Colossians 1.18. When he talks about Christ, he said, that in all things He might have the preeminence. When it comes to life, when it comes to the life of a Christian, it ought to be all about Christ. It ought to be about Him having the preeminence in our lives. And then there's another way to mark, to mark commitment. And that would be for the Lord to be the passion of your life. And by that, I simply mean He's the love of your life. You see, Jesus comes before anything and everything. 
The Bible tells us we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. That's what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 22. He wants us to love Him and to love Him supremely. It really begins with God at the top, then family, then you can just go down the list. But ultimately, God is at the apex of life. God, God is the center of our affections. And then finally, another way to mark commitment would be priority. Here's what Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, putting first. Make the Lord the priority of your life. Let everything center or evolve around Him, right? Revolve around Him. He's the hub, so to speak. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in this point. First, we talk about the marks of commitment, and then how would you measure commitment? If somebody were to ask you, could you measure commitment for me? What would you say? Driving down the road one day, and I saw a truck line. Many of us would be familiar with the truck line if I were to call the name, and I won't do that. But what stood out to me about that truck line, they had three key words about their services. And I said, boy, that is so good. And here's what, here's what the caption said. Anything, anywhere, anytime. Listen again. Anything, anywhere, anytime. You want to measure commitment? That's it. That's it. They got it. Think about it for a minute. Anything. How do you measure commitment? Any, you remember... Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. The Lord appears to him. You remember what he asked? Lord, what will you have me to do? Now we think about commitment. Isn't it the case that what we're saying is anything, whatever the Lord wants us to do, we're willing to do it. And then secondly, what about anywhere? You want to know what commitment is? It's saying, you know what? Whatever the Lord wants me to do, I'm willing to do it. Anywhere He wants me to do it, I'm willing to do it. You remember Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah sees the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. He has these angelic beings crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And then a question emerges. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? You remember what Isaiah said? Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Let me tell you, that's commitment. Here's a guy saying, you know what, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'm willing to do it. That's how you measure commitment. And then thirdly, anytime. The time we have has been given unto us by whom? By, by the Lord. Remember Jesus, you look at the life of Jesus. Here's a person that lived 33 years upon this earth. That's what we would call a short life, isn't it? And yet, you ever thought about in the period of about three and a half years, of his, in, in about three and a half years during his ministry, how much he accomplished? I mean, here we're, we're talking about somebody that revolutionized the world. And Jesus, in his ministry, said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. 
The night comes when no man can work. In other words, I've got just a little bit of time, and then my tenure here upon planet Earth, it's over. The time that you have, are you using it for God? Sometimes we're stingy with our time, aren't we? And we're talking about how do you measure commitment? Well, anything, anywhere, anytime. And then let me add one other thing, one other thing to it. This really is a clincher. At any cost. At any cost. Sometimes we ask the question, what's it going to cost me? What will it cost me to serve the Lord? You know what it will cost you? It will cost you everything. Everything. Do you remember Jesus in Luke 14? When he said, if any man comes to me and hates not or loves less, father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, he said, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What, what's the Lord saying? He's saying, you want to serve me, I come before anything and everything. So how would you measure success? Anytime, anywhere, anything, and at any cost. Third thing I want to share with you in our lesson. We talk about absolute confidence in the Lord, absolute commitment in the Lord, and then absolute control. Listen again to what Solomon said. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Now listen to what he says. And He shall direct your paths. The word direct here in the original language means He will smooth your paths. In other words, He'll clear a path for you. When you think about life, and think for a minute about how your life is going right now, would you say things are going smoothly in life for you, or is it a bumpy road? Are you where you want to be in life? Are you satisfied? Are you content? Are you happy with where you are in life? You know why a lot of folks aren't happy? You know why a lot of people are discontent? Do you know why some people in our world today are not successful in life? It's because the Lord is not controlling the life. He's not directing the path. What Solomon is saying is, look, you turn your life over to the Lord, and He's going to smooth your paths. I'm not saying there are not going to be bumps on the road. I'm not, I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that you're not going to face some troubles and trials and difficult times because life as we know it is tough. We looked at, John, at Job 14.1. But what I'm saying is God... God can clear a path for you that is the best way to live. He'll smooth your path. In other words, He'll lead you down the right road in life. You see, it's a smooth path. And not only is it a smooth path, but it's a straight path. We talk about getting from point A to point B. Where do you want to go in life? Where do you plan to be in a hundred years? Think about it. Where do you plan to be a hundred years from now? In a hundred years, all the things that you're worried about today, how much, how much will those things mean to you then? You ever thought about how much we fret and worry and fill, fill our lives with anxiety? And we're trying to do this and that. 
and we're worried about getting this or that, and we're doing all these things, and we forget about what's really important in life. And sometimes we get on the wrong road, and we do the wrong things, and then we wonder why we're having trouble, why we are failures in life. I can tell you why, because we're not on the right road. You see, the Lord will lead you on a smooth path. He'll lead you on a straight path. Listen to what he says. Verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. A lot of folks in our world today, they look at the Bible as a book of can'ts. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. Can't do that. Let me tell you what. When God says don't do something, there's a reason for that. What God is saying is, if you do those things, you're going to bring a lot of heartache into your life. Remember what Paul said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow bad seed, what kind of harvest are you going to reap? Bad, bad harvest, aren't you? What Solomon is saying, and listen, Solomon is writing to his son. He's speaking to his son here, and he's saying, Look, you want to enjoy success in life then let the Lord control, let Him direct your path. Why? Because it's going to be a smooth path. And then secondly, it's going to be a straight path. He's going to get you where you need to be. You want to go to heaven? You better stay on the straight and narrow. You better follow what the Lord... We, we talk about trusting the Lord, knowing the Lord. How do you know the Lord? Through His Word. How do you know how to get to heaven? His Word. It's our GPS. It'll get us from here to heaven. And then, there's another thing, very quickly. It is a sensible path. Listen to what he says, verse 8. It will be health to your flesh, strength to your bones. The body is a marvelous piece of work, isn't it? The psalmist said that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. It is an amazing thing to have a child. Probably... One of the greatest joys in life is to have a child that is truly bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh. I mean, this, this is a part of you. And you think about that little baby in the womb. I remember when Nancy was pregnant, and I got a book, and I watched week by week the growth of that baby. And you think about that baby and that umbilical cord. And that baby is being nourished through that umbilical cord. And it makes sense, doesn't it? That baby is nourished and cared for. Well, what Solomon is saying here is, look, you trust in the Lord. You put your confidence in Him. You commit your life to Him. You let Him control your life. What's it going to be? What he's saying is, it's the best way to live. It will bless your life. Just like that baby in the womb is being blessed by nutrition from his own mama or her own mama. You live for the Lord and He will bless your life immeasurably. In closing, where are you in life? Sometimes we try to quantify success. What the world says is success doesn't necessarily equate to what God says is success. It might be right now that you're in this assembly and you're thinking, you know what? My life's a mess. 
my life's anything but a success. Oh, maybe I'm successful in business and maybe I've done well in school and maybe I've got this going for me and that going for me, but deep down in my heart of hearts, I know I've failed time and again. And I know the one factor that is not a part of my life that I need is God. Could I say to you, there is a void. And if God's not in your life, there's a void. And nothing in this world will fill that void. We're reading the words of Solomon. And you can go back and read the book of Ecclesiastes this week. And you can read about Solomon and all the things that he discovered in life. Solomon tried a lot of things to make him happy. And every single time Solomon realized these things don't make me happy. You can have a lot and have nothing. You can have nothing and have a lot. And that is, your life's God-centered. So Solomon said, here's what life's really about. Fear God, keep His commandments. He said, this is man's all. In other words, this is what life is all about. That's success. Now, we talk about success and failure. Imagine a hundred years from now, we're out into eternity, and we're awaiting the judgment, and then one day we stand before God, and the books are opened, that is, the scriptures are opened. Another book is opened, which is called the book of life, and we're judged. Success is hearing these words, well done good and faithful servant. Failure, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So we talk about success and failure. Success in the here and now, live for God. Success on the other side, living for God. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ there's no other way to live. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Won't you do what they did on Pentecost Day? What did they do? They believed Jesus to be the Son of God. They repented of their sins, Acts 2.38. They were baptized into Christ, Acts 22.16. All their sins were washed away, and God put them in the church. Why the church? Because that, that's the institution where the saved reside. Ephesians 5.23. If you'll do that, you'll be well on your way to heaven. You will live, as Paul said, in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. If you're not faithful to His cause, let me tell you what, you've got a great opportunity right now. We'd be happy as a family to pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon. 1 John 1.9. Won't you come as we stand and sing?